and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. I'm Anita Kelly, and my guest today is the award-winning author Lynn Ames. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Anita. How you doing? I am well. How are you doing? I am doing well, alive and well and kicking and writing. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. How's that going? You know, um, I wrote a book earlier in the pandemic that I think we're going to get to later on called 46. Okay. And uh, that book, I felt driven to write. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I really felt driven to write it because it was time sensitive, given the title 46, the 46th president of the United States. And because, uh, you know, it was very cathartic to write and, and hopeful to write. And I just knew that I had a very hard deadline to get that book out before the summer. Um, and so I had my nose down and I was uh, writing, 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 writing. And I finished that book and I put it out there and I promoted it. And I did all those things you do once a book is released. And then I went back to a project that I've been working on off and on for 10 years, really, which is um, the authorized biography of Dot Wilkinson, who's one of the, the one of the greatest softball players who ever played the game. Yeah. And I've I've found that it's a little bit tougher getting back into a nonfiction uh, project. And I'm, you know, trying to give myself a, a hard deadline. And, and, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. I, I actually, uh, for the first time in a long time, nonfiction is a lot different than writing fiction. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I've done the research for this book essentially for more than a decade now. And I've been writing this book for more than two years, which is highly unusual for me. Wow. Um, but Dot Dot is alive. She's 99, about to be 100. Oh, my goodness. In October. Good for her. And, uh, no kidding. I talked, in fact, I just got off the phone with her. I talked to her every single night. She lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I'm really trying to get this book done and out in time for her 100th birthday. So, God willing, and the crick don't rise, I'm going to uh, glue myself to my chair and make it happen. Wow, that is really awesome. Wow, uh, it, that's just amazing that she will be 100 years old uh, and she's still going strong. Still going strong, still uh, pretty sharp. She's suffered a few strokes in the last few months. Uh, they haven't slowed her down much, boy. She's uh, still living in her own house, and she is no full of spit and vinegar and, and uh, raring to go and anxious to see and have the book in her hands. So I am anxious to get it in her hands because she probably still knows how to use a baseball bat, and I don't want to get hit with it. <laughs> That's funny. Just before we start talking, I was just watching the uh, – University of Florida and FSU game. Um, Aha. Yeah, Florida uh, was kicking their butts five to nothing. So I imagine so. Yeah. One of the best teams in the country right now. Yeah. 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 They're, they're good. So, wow. So, so let's back up a minute and, and tell us about 46, right? That, that came out, what, maybe toward the end of 2020? It came out in June. In of June. 2020. All right. So uh, it's been, what, about seven months now, I think, something like that. You know, 46, I, I, my career began uh, in broadcast journalism, covering politics in the capital of New York State and as their news director. And um, then I went into politics as the press secretary for the New York State Democrats and 
a few other positions in government. So politics and government are something I know intimately well. Mm. And, um, you know, I started, of course, like everybody else, watching what's going on in the world and, and thinking to myself, boy, this is really a mess. <laughs> and, um, you know, if a president asked me what my advice was, the next president, you know, how do we come back from this place? Because I think all of us on some level were thinking, how do we ever heal this divide? How do we get back from this place of, you know, disunity and disgrace and all of this stuff where we're losing our democracy? And I thought, and I started thinking about what I would say. And then I started thinking, well, if I was president, what would I do? You know, what would, what would be the steps I would need to take to heal this nation and to heal the world? Mm -hmm. And what if that was a lesbian president? But of course, it should have been. So I started thinking about that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I started working on solutions. And I thought, you know, this is a, the kind of book, the kind of story that we all need right now to lift us up out of this place to remind us that there's a way forward a better way forward where we can get through this and we'll all get through it together by reading uplifting things and then i just started sitting down to write um and i knew that i wanted uh, emma mcmasters to be the unifying president and i knew that she needed a love interest and i was i've never served in the military but i have a lot of friends who have uh, and I really wanted to honor their service, particularly at a time where I felt like uh, the military was being dishonored by the, the commander in chief, so to speak. Yeah. I cannot speak his name and, and I will not speak his name. So yeah. um, so I created Palmer Estes, who was a four star uh, general who would be the highest ranking um, female in the U.S. Army, there had been another, in real life, another one four-star general that was a woman, and uh, she was not a lesbian. But I thought, the next four-star general should be. And um, so I created Palmer Estes, and, and I was fortunate enough along the way to have incredibly good sources to help me with the realism in this book. The things that I, I mean, I knew a lot of the politics and government on my own. I've been in Washington many, many times. And uh, so I knew that piece of it. Mm -hmm. But I knew that there were like intimate details of the White House and how things uh, work together that I needed help with. And then I also knew that I needed a significant amount of help on the military side of things. And I happened to have a very dear friend who uh, is a brigadier general, was a brigadier general, uh, now retired. And she introduced me to uh, a couple of friends of hers, other generals, one who was a lieutenant general, is a lieutenant general, major general, I guess. I just gave Tammy a promotion. It's okay. That's she nice. won't mind. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and another uh, retired brigadier general. And so between the three of them, I really learned so much. One of them had a background in intelligence, nice. which was greatly helpful to me. One of them uh, flew Black Hawk helicopters. Um, as her job and later she became after she retired she became the very first female test pilot for boeing in seattle wow so she taught me to virtually fly a black hawk helicopter it was the most amazing thing you know over over the phone that's <laughs> she so me how cool to fly this thing. um and the third uh 
Major General Tammy Smith is was the first out lesbian uh, flag officer. And Tammy, who is just about to retire from the military, was greatly helpful to me in terms of personnel and the Pentagon and all of that kind of stuff. So, so I had for, for me and my there. I'm just going for me and my listeners, what is a flag officer? So a flag officer is uh, any uh, officer of rank. So a brigadier ah, okay. uh, general has one star, mm-hmm. right? A major general has two stars. A lieutenant general has three stars. And then there's a general with four stars. Mm-hmm. I may have gotten the major and the lieutenant generals mixed up. If I did, please don't crucify yep. me. Majors above this the general. They, majors above lieutenant, right? Yeah, so yep. the, lieutenant general would be the two stars. Major general would be the three stars and then a four star general. And by the way, not for nothing, Joe Biden is about to name two new female four star generals. Really? Uh, this this week, in fact. Sweet. So, yep. So that's fabulous. So in any event, um, I had a great time writing this book. I had help on the White House stuff, you know. Uh, strange bedfellows. One of my college classmates and a guy I knew very well in college is a guy that um, you all might recognize his name. His name is Ari Fleischer. Oh, he wow. was George W. Bush's press secretary. Yes. Okay. Ari and I go back more than 40 years. Uh, we disagree on everything political. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we still remain um, connected uh, because of our, you know, joint experience, he was the um, he was the managing editor of the college newspaper when I was the news director of the college radio station. We worked together often in college. He was a Democrat back then, not anymore, obviously. Yeah. Um, but he was very helpful to me in this. You know, we set some parameters. I called him. I asked him if he would help me. If he would help me with some research, and I didn't. I said I don't want to do anything partisan here. I just want to make sure that I get some of the details, the protocol type things correct Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, the average person would not know, but I know you do. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I interviewed him uh, two or three times. And then, you know, if I had a question, he and I emailed him, he emailed me within five minutes, you know, to give me the answer. He was very helpful in this particular regard. The only question he asked me was, um, if I was planning to mention number 45's name in the book, I told him absolutely not. I wouldn't do that. And uh, so he had no problem with my naming him in the acknowledgments. And, um, you know, I got every detail, I hope, absolutely right. And, and you know, the one question I asked him, I think that surprised him in the interview process was I said, tell me something, tell me two things that everybody gets wrong. In other words, in every movie, in every television show, tell me two things everybody gets wrong. I said, tell me what the West Wing got wrong. Tell me what um, the American president got wrong. And he did. And so those things I made sure to get right in the book as well. So every expert helped me with every section. I would write a section and send it to them and say, is this correct? If it's not correct, please tell me why it's not correct and how I can make it you know, even better. So like this, there's a a segment in there where I have a character flying a Black Hawk helicopter uh, and and landing it under fire. And uh, I sent that section to uh, my retired brigadier general who flew these things. And she came back and said, wow, I felt like I was in the cockpit. 
And I said, well, that is the highest compliment you could possibly give me. So I must have learned to fly it well. I still don't think you want me flying your Black Hawk in the middle of an emergency. <laughs> but, but there it is. So, wow. so it was really kind of a neat experience for me. And, um, you know, I hope that readers who've read it and will read it, you know, find it to be the same. The coolest thing about this book is that so far, six things that I predicted have come true. Really? Yep. Do you want to? And I tell you what they were, but I'd have to. I'd have to kill you if I told okay. you what they were. All right. <laughs> I mean, you got to so, read the book. That is so. That is so awesome that you had folks who were like right there, you know, and willing to basically do your research live and in person. Well, maybe not in person, but. You know, you didn't have to, to, like, go and and seek out, you know, books on or Google how to fly a Blackhawk like you had in, you know. That, that is, like, that is so cool. That's so nice. Yeah, I think that's my reporting background. You always go for a primary source first. Yeah. Always, if you can get a live person who can tell you things you can't Google, go for that. Heck, yeah. That you is know? great. That is really great. Yeah. So um, are you, do you have anything in the works right now? Um, you mentioned that you're, you're working on the Dot Wilkinson story. Yep, I'm, I'm busy working on, uh, the title of it is Extra Innings, okay. the Dot Wilkinson story. And uh, as I said, I hope to be done writing by the summer, hopefully, and have it out in the fall if it's at all possible. If this is humanly possible, I'm going to do it. And I, you know, I'd like to tell you, I know what comes after that, but I really don't. I just tend to focus one project at a time. And then I think, oh, I'll probably never come up with something else again. And of course, you know, like a month later, I've got a new idea. <laughs> so you uh, actually did a documentary, right, about Dot? I did do a documentary about Dot. You know, um, Dot and I are like family. And it was uh, about, let's see, it would have been 2013, maybe, or 2014. And I realized, you know, she was 92 at the time. And I realized that her memories, you know, a lot of her friends were passing away. And, I, and her memories were going to be lost to time and history. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I need to get her on the record, on, you know, film, so that her story, her legacy will live on. And um, I told her that I wanted to sit her down in front of a live audience. And uh, she looked at me like I had, you know, foreheads. But she agreed to it. God bless her. She agreed to it. So I created an event at uh, the Phoenix Public Library. And I invited uh, the public to come in and, and sit with us and listen to Dot's story and ask questions and things like that. And I filmed it. And so, I mean, it's, to me, it's a great piece of um, history, yeah. like live history, living history, oral history. Yeah. And you can see Dot, you know, answer her own stuff. And it was just like two old friends sitting on a couple of stools in front of an audience and uh, just talking about talking about things that happened, the stories, the kinds of stories that she told me all the time. Because uh, she's a very colorful character, and she had a very uh, long and illustrious career playing softball, among other things, and, and had great stories to tell. 
And so we just sat there and entertained the crowd for two hours. And then, uh, and then I created from that a documentary film. Is it, where can our listeners access that? They can buy it from me. Okay. Um, they can buy it from my website, which is www.lynnames.com. Awesome. 20 bucks for the documentary. Excellent. And, uh, you know, when the book comes out, when her biography comes out, um, you know, there'll be a tie-in because it's got the same title. Mm-hmm. part of the same title as the documentary and mm-hmm. I'll sell them, you know, as a package in addition to selling them individually. I also wrote a fictional book called Bright Lights of Summer around Dot's team. Uh, Dot let me write this book that I put fictional uh, players on her very real 1940 Phoenix 1941 Phoenix Ramblers team, wow. which so- was great. And she, her, her major concern there was that I was going to, that people would be confused uh, they would confuse her with the fictional character Fran, uh, Diz. And I said, it's never going to happen. And she said, well, how do you know that? And I said, because I'm going to put words in your mouth and put you on the field with her. You can't be two people at once. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. <laughs> so she let me do it, which was great. Oh, that's great. And and is that who she played for then, the Phoenix Ramblers? She played for a team called the, the PBSW. Uh, Peterson, PB, Peterson, something, Steiner and Whist, uh, Phoenix Ramblers from 1933 to 1965. Wow. She started playing when she was 11 years old. Um, and, you know, she's a three-time world champion and a 19-time All-American, more All-American honors than anyone in history, uh, including Joan Joyce and Dottie Richardson and a lot of other players that you all would know. Yeah. So, um you know, it, it's been the honor of my lifetime um, to, you know, bring Dot back in terms of her legacy so that those who don't remember her will now always remember her, I hope, as they should. Oh, that's really great. That's really great. Um, have you seen the documentary about the the two players who, mm-hmm. yeah, that was really, that was really good. I like that. Yeah, it was sad. very, very interesting, wasn't it? it? It was. It was sad, really, too. It was sad. I made me cry. Yeah. Dot saw that, too, by the way, and she also said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's sad how they had to live. And kind it was of the nature of the times, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, really. So, so Lynn. Um, yeah. Your book titles. Do you mm-hmm. come up with those yourself or does like your publisher help you with that? How does that fall into place for you? I am the publisher. So, so the answer is yes, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, in 2010, I started, I, I had been with a, a, a major publisher and I, at 20 in 2010, I decided to go out on my own. And uh, so I created a company called Phoenix Rising Press, which publishes all my books um, and, you know, sometimes a, a title is easy. Sometimes it just comes to me naturally. And sometimes I, I struggle with it every now and again. I ask uh, friends who I know like to play this game, what would you title this book? Mm-hmm. You know, and I let people you know, give me stuff and I decide whether I like it or not or whether I'm going to discard it or not. Uh, only once did I ever have someone design me a book cover and then tell me to title it. And um, 
I, I only ever did that once. I'd never do it again. You know, I need to title the book first before I, before I A, write it, and before I B, uh, see a cover for it. Okay. So, so yeah, that's always the first, the first step. Well, the first step is, you, you know, you think about the plot and the characters and so forth, and then you think about the title. So Phoenix Rising Press, is that uh, Andy and um, Jill McKnight? No, they're, they are uh, Dirt Road Books. Okay, all right. Dirt Dear Road. friends of mine, love them to pieces. That's Dirt Road Books. Phoenix Rising Press is just little old me. Okay, I had no idea there were so many publishers, like publishing houses. I didn't know that you self-published uh, with your own uh -huh. house. That's awesome. That's great. You know, I do it like it's like it's a, a traditional publishing house. I mean, I, I do everything old school. I am an old school editor, old school cover designer. You know, like the real all of it is all of it is done like any major publishing house would do it, except that um, you know I get to pick them. That's great. That is really great. So, yeah. what made you leave your publisher and go out on your own? Just uh, you know, sometimes oh, people want to have that's more. That's a long story. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. And, you know, some people do it because they want to have more control over the, the process um, or, you know, uh, various reasons. I, I had something that went awry. Okay. So um, I didn't want to leave anything to chance. Um, and so it came the moment to publish my next book. And I thought, you know what? I just can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it myself. Okay. And, you know, by then I had learned so much about the business. Um, you know, I'd been taught by one of the best. So uh, I just thought, you know what, I mean, I'm going to just investigate and, and see if this works. And if it does, then great. You know, my initial um, thought had been to uh, publish other authors as well. And the more but I thought, you know, I'm not going to risk anybody else's titles until I'm sure that I can be successful at this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the first thing I did was republish, take back my rights and republish my own books, mm -hmm. existing books. And then I published the first original uh, book under Phoenix Rising Press. And, you know, within six months, I was uh, financially quite successful. And I thought, okay, this works. And then I, you know, went to my editor and I said, well, what do you think about, you know, bringing in other authors? And she said, you know what? I really like just editing you. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I said, well, okay, I can't argue with that. And it's, you know, it's easier. And, um, you know, I'm just quite happy to do it this way. So sure. Oh, that's great. So I didn't intend to be a solo act, but here I am. You know, I was, I guess, ahead of the curve because self-publishing wasn't really a thing then. Yeah, it sure is now. It sure is now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's tough. In fact, I, you know, I, I often mentor other authors who want to do this, who want to self-publish. And I mean, I always believe in giving back. I think there's no competition for me, you know, in terms of either major publishing houses, minor publishing houses, any of them, because mm -hmm. these are all my friends. Yeah. And I don't believe in there being a finite, you know, amount of uh, audience. Let's just say that. So, mm -hmm. For me, I'm, you know, always happy to help, happy to give advice, happy to, you know, share what I've learned the hard way over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really kind of you to do that. And, and you're right. There's, there's such a, um, a market out there for, uh, LGBT fiction. Um, 
you know there's enough to go around really and and it's nice to see how uh regardless of what publisher you are with um there's just really uh a, a sense of family and camaraderie um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. among the all of the elders. and why why shouldn't there be i mean i yeah. think if we look at our, our history as lgbtq plus people um you know too often throughout history we have uh, viewed each other as competition or or eyed each other with suspicion rather than reaching out a helping hand we are so much stronger together mm-hmm. than we are individually why would we not help each other mm-hmm. yeah well um i think historically uh women have been set up to compete with each other um mm-hmm. so you know, it's it's really nice to see that this isn't happening in, uh, you know, lesbian, the lesbian publishing world, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Isn't that a nice thing? It can't really we all is. just can't we all just get along? <laughs> so um, uh, you have been telling stories like in various forms of media throughout your adult life. Mm-hmm. Right. You've been uh, working in. um TV, publishing, writing, um, radio, know, radio. Yeah. So, so, mm-hmm. um, you're always telling stories, right? Were, were you a storyteller as a kid or was this a, a new gig for you as an adult? I was going to say, I've been telling stories since I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. Yeah. I wrote my first, I wrote my first novel when I was 10 <laughs> and, uh, it was called The Sun Will Shine Again as a horrible title. And uh, the plot wasn't terribly interesting. I found it when I moved. Um, it was on written laboriously on lined paper uh, in very careful script. Would that I were that careful anymore when I signed anything. Um, and it's in a typing box, a typing paper box. And I thought, oh, my God, do I really want to read this? Well, I'd be terribly depressed by it. And I thought, no, I should just read it. Well, I, one thing I will say about it is the grammar was surprisingly good for a 10-year-old. Oh, great. Good teachers. Even the commas were properly placed. Ah, good teachers. Yeah, excellent teachers, that's the truth. So, you know, in one form or another, you are right. I've been telling stories all my life, essentially. And, um, you know, I, I used to say when I was 8, 9, 10, all I want to do when I grow up is write stories and be left alone. Well, I got half of it right. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So the sun will shine again. That sounds so melodramatic. Yeah, well, you know, it was a little melodramatic <laughs> now that you mention it. It was kind of sad. It was a sad story. But it had a good ending. It had a happy ending. At least I knew the construct back then, even that it had to have a happy ending. Yeah. So before you actually um, came into the field of, of writing and publishing, um, was there someone who... Like you admired in the field, um, someone who inspired you to, you know, keep writing and and, uh, really go for it. You know, I I've been a reader since I think I came out of the womb. So, you know, I just love words on the page and I love fiction. And and when I first found lesbian fiction, you know, I didn't know such a thing existed. And it was probably the uh, maybe the early 80s. 
I want to say, not I'm aging and, and dating myself here. But I'm right there with it was you. Probably, <laughs> okay. So it was probably the early 80s or so. Mm-hmm. And I mean, those books saved my life. Yeah. You know, the first book I read was Catherine V. Forrest's Amateur City. Oh, yeah. And and from the time I found it, I could not get enough of uh, our fiction. And so every year I would um, save up my money and I would go into Women Crafts, uh, independent bookstore, women's bookstore in Provincetown, uh-huh. Massachusetts. Yeah. And I would spend all of my saved money, like $400 at a time on it, buying up every NIAD book, you know, just, and I, and I would, you know, just cherish these things and read them throughout the year. So I'd long, long, you know, been a fan and, and knowing that these things saved lives. I also read a lot of mainstream fiction, of course, but, um, I had no intention of writing lesbian fiction. It's funny. I had no intention of writing lesbian fiction. In fact, I was working on a straight uh, thriller, and I ran into. I met these a uh, couple of women who, you know, I said, "Oh, do you, you know, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm writing this book. Well, could we read it?" I said, "I don't know. I don't, you know, well, let us read it." So, um, this was around the time that Zena came on the air. Okay. And uh, so I let them read the the prologue and the first chapter of this uh, very straight book. And uh, in which the husband, I think, dies in the first chapter. And they came back to me and they said, you know, this is really, really good, but there's only one problem with it. And I said, well, what's that? And they're like, well, it's not a lesbian book. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, you know, no, it's, it's not. And they said, well, it needs, to, you need a second, it needs to be a lesbian book. And I'm like, but there's no second character here. Well, make one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and. And so I, for six months straight, these two hammered me and hammered me and hammered me and hammered me. They kept handing me these uber fictions to read. They're like, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Oh, my God. If it will shut you up, I will write something <laughs> just to shut you up. And so um, I, you know, because they said and I hadn't seen I, I hadn't seen Zena you know, like in the first three seasons, and then I caught up like the rest of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I realized that Lucy Lawless, Zena, uh, bore a striking resemblance to a character I had already created, Catherine Kyle. And so, you know, darn these women, they got me thinking about this thing. And so I'd spend, you know, hours walking through the woods and walking through my neighborhood and trying to figure out how I could do this. And so finally, I created a book, uh, I thought it would be a one-off, called The Price of Fame. And I created a character, Jameson Parker, to go with Catherine Kyle. And uh, thus, my my career <laughs> in writing lesbian fiction was born. And what I thought was going to be a one-off book uh, turned out to be a four-book series, the Kate and Jay series. So uh, you just never know. Wow, that's fantastic. So that's how you got started in this lesbian that's how I world. that's how I got started Great. you know that's that's how it came to be so I published that first book I think was published in 2003 or 2004 something like that okay anyway and, and we're on we're on uh, book number 16 I think awesome so that was the price of fame that was the price of fame and, was the very first one and and in with that series is that like the cost of commitment the value exactly of, the value of valor uh-huh. And Final Cut is the fourth book, which I wrote 10 years later. 
everybody kept saying, where's the next book in the series? Where And I had never expected it to be, A, I never expected it to be a series. B, I never expected it to be more than a trilogy once it was a series. But people kept asking me and asking me, and I kept saying, look, I, you know, it would be disingenuous of me to write a book just because I could make money from it. So I'm not going to write another book in this series until I have something to say, you know, until it's the time's right. And so 10 years later, um, the time was right. I think it was 2015, maybe. Uh, I finally realized what it was Kate would be doing present day. I could never figure the, the series starts in 1989 okay. and I could never figure out what Kate would be doing modern day. I always knew what Jameson was going to do, what Jay was going to do. She was going to be the great American novelist, but I never could figure out what it was Kate would be doing present day. And then finally in 2015, it was a eureka moment. And so I thought, okay, now I know what to do. So I wrote the fourth and final book in the series, final cut. Wow. That's amazing, really, to to write that final uh, selection like so many years later. Um, it was kind. It was freaky. Yeah, I'll you know. Bet. I mean, I, I I realized that I'd missed these girls. Aww. I'd missed these women, which was kind of cool. That and it was cool. um, an interesting story, a different story to tell. And I was able to cross it over with one of my most popular standalone romances, a book called All That Lies Within. Okay. And uh, so those characters sort of their their worlds collided. And, uh, you know, so one of them was obviously a couple that had been together for now, what, almost 30 years, and another uh, couple that had just been together for one or two years. So that was kind of an interesting juxtaposition for me. Oh, that's cool. Really cool. Yeah, I have um, All That Lies Within was the first book of yours that I, I ever read. And I, um, I, I think I was at, it might've been at a golden crown conference uh-huh. and I got it like in a bag of goodies or something. A bag of goodies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It was great. It was uh really, really great. Great read. Um, awesome. So you Thank have you. like 16 books, 16 books. That is amazing. That's, that it really is like um so in your estimation then what what makes a good story what goes into a the good thing, story thing you know for me the thing that makes a story really good is if there's a kernel of truth in it all fiction all of the best fiction in my humble opinion is based on some um, manner or piece of truth there has to be something um, verifiable about it, something genuine about it, uh, whether it's someone's experience or whether it is, a, you know, if it's a character-driven book, it has to be something, you know, a psychological piece or something that is true. It may not have to be true for me or for, you know, whoever's writing the book, but it has to be, there has to be some truth in it mm-hmm. because otherwise, um you know, your audience doesn't get invested in it. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, world building, even sci-fi, even fantasy um, has at its core something truthful, mm-hmm. something honest. Right. Um, right. I think that's what makes readers get invested. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They can relate to that. If it was yeah. pure fantasy, they, they couldn't relate to it and might not keep, you know, continue to read. Um, so... Would you say, you know, you mentioned like even if the the, uh, storyline or 
there's a, a fabric of truth um, in, and maybe it's a piece of a character. Um, in your stories, do you think that you are more character-driven or plot-driven in your approach to writing? You know, Anita, it depends on what I'm writing. Okay. I've written, I've written thrillers. I've written contemporary romance. I've written historical books and historical romance. And, um, you know, every one of them is different in some way. Some of them are very character. I wrote a romantic comedy. You know, some of them are very character driven and some of them are very plot driven. The thrillers tend to be more plot driven, obviously. And the plot is the thing. And uh, the relationships, you know, serve the plot. In others, uh, the action serves the characters, depending on what the characters are going through. So it honestly depends on on what the story calls for. And, you know, to me, I want always to be challenging myself. So whatever I'm writing, I'm happy to get outside a little box and challenge myself further. I want every book to be better than the one I wrote before. It better be better than the one I wrote before, or at least, you know, better in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't marry myself to any one formula in terms of, character i write character driven books or i write you know plot driven books i don't want anybody to be able to say well she you want to pinhole her this is what she does yeah yeah (laughs) you know so many so many authors um do fall into that you know they um kind of find their little niche and and just kind of stay there Um, well there's nothing wrong with that don't get me wrong there's absolutely nothing wrong with that i Mm -hmm. admire them Mm -hmm. and they're incredibly good at what they do it's okay. just not who i am yeah i'm thinking of like um uh like the kellermans and um mm-hmm. yeah like um there's a kind of the same thing happens in every book i think mm-hmm. but you know john you, grisham yeah yeah you're right yeah um you just uh said something that i think would be a great title for a book um, Let's have it. You just said the plot is the thing. Oh, that'd be a good thriller, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. The plot is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Write, write that down. Okay. R- writing it down. Writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll like be waiting for that to come out like next year or something. <laughs> You'll get a nod in the acknowledgement if it does. Awesome. <laughs> so, um, in in 2013, um, all that lies within uh, mm-hmm. was listed as one of the top ten lesbian books overall for 2013. Mm-hmm. So that blow your mind. Yeah, that is incredible. Like that is uh, like just quite the feather in your cap. Um, you know, I don't I don't write for accolades or awards. But I, I, I have to say, I mean, there's just something heartwarming to know that that's what readers thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what you want. That's, you know, you, you write for your readers, right? You write for them. Like, you want them to embrace it and to get lost in it. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I wouldn't say that. No? I wouldn't say that. No. I, you know, there are some authors who uh, want to write what they think readers want to read. Mm-hmm. My philosophy has always been, I want to write what's in my heart. Mm-hmm. And if I write what's in my heart and I'm authentic and I'm true to it, then it will find its audience. 
true. audience that is meant to read that book will read that book. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, that's, you know, um, and apparently um, you are writing what's authentic because, you know, readers are finding your work. <laughs> Um, Thank goodness. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, I feel incredibly blessed to be able to do what I love to do and to have readers love that I do it just makes it all worthwhile. So what, um, what makes all that lies within so special? Like, can you uh, tell us about that? You know, I have asked myself that question a thousand times. Really? And I, I don't know the answer to it. I don't know the answer to it. I think, you know, that book has, um, believe it or not, a lot of layers to it. And I think that for the readers, you can take that as deep or as shallow as you want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the book, that book ultimately is about being seen for yourself, yeah. being uh, able to be understood for yourself, for your authentic self. Uh, it's about, you know, getting rid of things like objectification and so on and so forth. And I think we all on some level can relate to that yeah definitely and so maybe it's that the book is relatable Mm -hmm. to folks I mean, some people just think it's a great beach read and it's a wonderful romance and they just take it at face value and that's great you know I learned a long time ago that once I finish writing the words the end and publish the book the book is no longer mine it belongs to the readers yeah and they're going to take from it whatever it is they need to get from it so for some reason and I'll tell you a funny story about that in a minute if you want. But mm-hmm. uh, for some reason, all that lies within seemed to resonate really powerfully off on a broad scale with a lot of readers and probably not for any two readers for the same exact reason. Yeah. So maybe that's the key to the success of that book. Yeah, that could be. Really, that makes sense. So in answer to, to follow up the thread, you know, I sat in front of a live audience one time of a huge book club in Minneapolis And the book that I was uh, there for was a book called Eyes on the Stars. It's a historical romance uh, based on World War II, the women Air Force service pilots who were real women um, and that, you know, nobody knew that they existed Mm -hmm. until 1977 when their mission was finally declassified. And then even after that, they were never recognized until 2010 when they were given the Congressional Gold Medal. Yeah. So I sat in front of this live audience, and um, it was a book club, so they'd all read the book. And as I'm sitting in front of the room, they're having a heated discussion. Members of of the book club are having a heated discussion with each other about what this character's intent was and what this character, you know, why certain things happened the way they did in that book. And, I mean, they went at each other, like, head-to-head for probably 20 minutes and there was finally like someone took a breath and I just kind of sat up at the front and I was like astounded by this. And I sat up at the front and I finally said, do you want to know what I think? <laughs> but it was in that moment that I realized the book's not mine. Yeah. It isn't about what I think. It's about what they took from it. And, and so every reader brings their own experience to the work. Yeah. And therefore it's it's theirs. It's yeah. whatever they take away from it is is absolutely legitimate and real, and just as valid as whatever it is I put into the book, because again I'm writing from my experience. They're writing, they're reading from their experience. 
experience. And, right. And ain't that what makes the world beautiful? Yeah, we all have our own frame of reference and our exactly. own perceptions about, you know, we can see the same, the same car accident and walk away with different perceptions of, of what happened, you know? Exactly. Um, exactly. He yeah. went through the road like, no, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's great. That's, that's fun really to have that happen yeah. right before your eyes, you know? It was mind boggling, honestly. And it was deeply honoring for me that people felt that strongly about it, that they were, you know, willing to go toe to toe and have a, get a heated discussion about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's intense. So, uh, so Lynn, tell us something about yourself that no one else knows. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I want to put you on the spot. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I can't tell you something that nobody else knows because my wife knows pretty much everything. Okay, that's so, good. That's but, good. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that only she knows. Okay. All right. Right. Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Here if, we go. Uh, if I have a pair of pants on that um, have pockets in them, in my left front pocket, at the beginning of the day or uh, whatever I get around to it, any sometime before noon. Let's just say sometime before noon, mm -hmm. there will be six peppermint lifesavers in my left hand front pocket. Really? Yep. I eat six peppermint lifesavers a day. That's all I'm allowed. That's all I give myself. But there are six of them in there at the start of the, you know, at some point before noon. And I never have one before noon. Nope. Really? So, yeah. No, not that I'm a creature of habit, but you know, so six uh, peppermint lifesavers in the left hand, in the front left hand pocket. And in the front right hand pocket is a tube of Vaseline lip therapy. And, and, and you never vary from that. No spearmint or occasionally you might find a wintergreen in there okay but that's it huh. that's it those are the two flavors and i really prefer the peppermint to the wintergreen i bought the wintergreen one time when there were no peppermint i think i've been eating that same bag of wintergreen lifesavers <laughs> for about five years now so how, when did you start that habit you know i don't even remember i don't know but it's been like at least close to a decade maybe Okay. Of peppermint lifesavers. So does that keep you out of some kind of trouble? Well, uh, no, not necessarily. Huh? Uh, you know, I have no bad habits in terms of, let's say this. I mean, I'm, I've never been a smoker. I've never been a drinker. So I'm not like substituting that for something else. Mm -hmm. It's just, I think it probably arose out of the first time that I worried that I'd have bad breath. Ah, okay. <laughs> when I was somewhere. Okay. And then I just got, you know, then I got hooked on peppermint lifesavers. So six peppermint lifesavers in my left front pocket, and they'll diminish throughout the day. I'm usually done eating them sometime between noon and five. Wow. Don't that's... ask me why those hours. I don't know. Okay. I can just tell you that no one knows that now except for you and all of your closest friends on the podcast. All right. So... When... So the next time you see me, yes. ask me to dig into my left front pocket. Okay. Well, I'll make sure it's between 12 and 5. <laughs> yeah. Make sure it's between 12 and 5 or the pocket's going to be empty. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Unless I'm at a conference in which, and I don't think I'll get back to my room, in which case the lifesavers are in my pocket from the beginning of the day. Okay. But I won't touch them until noon. Okay. So no, okay. Uh, no conferences this year again. 
no, not in person. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. But I think it's the right thing to do. Honestly, I think that's the right thing to do. Let's get through this pandemic. Yep. Let's really, you know, put it in our rear view mirrors. And then next year, let's all get together and hug like heck. Yeah, absolutely. It is the right thing to do. Yeah. It would really be, uh, it would be wrong to uh plan something yeah well it's not safe no it's not at all it's not safety first it's not safe yeah yep um but there are those states who are uh i know it yeah i know it's a big mistake it's a big mistake all i can say to your listeners is continue to socially distance continue to mask up continue to follow the precautions if we can do this for just a couple more months until we can get enough people vaccinated we can get there. Yeah. Just be safe, everyone. Be safe. Yep. You know, be smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lynn, do you... Nothing is worth your life. No, it's not. It's not at all. Yeah. You know? Bottom line. Yep. Um, do, you, do you like to hear from your readers and from our listeners? I love to hear from readers and listeners. Awesome. You know, I mean, I really love to hear from them. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean... You know, people sometimes assume that I don't answer my own mail or my own messages or whatever it is. You know, they're always surprised to find out that it's it's really me. Well, yeah, of course it's really me. If you take the time to write me or, you know, to connect with me in some way, I'm going to take the time to answer you. Yeah. That's, you know, just proper etiquette. It's right. And, you know, writing is such a, um, a lonely <laughs> business truly it's an isolating business and i mean you just you put your work out there and you really hope people appreciate it but who doesn't want to hear from folks who have thoughts yeah i I love interact you know i'm such an introvert i'm painfully shy and such an introvert which is odd for the professions that i've chosen or as i say i am situationally extroverted there you go um but i love to hear from people i absolutely love it See, that would make another good title for a book. I'm situationally extroverted? Yeah, or just situationally extroverted. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> well, it would sure be a book you'd pick up, wouldn't you? Because you'd wonder what the heck that was about. Yep. Absolutely, I would. So, well, there'd be a whole lot of truth in that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have your research done for you. <laughs> Well, yeah, that that's easy. <laughs> so, how how would our uh, listeners and readers how would they get like contact you? Um, do you have like a uh, social media pages or um, sure email? Sure, I have all of those things. It's twenty twenty one. Okay, um, so you can find me on uh, Facebook. I think I still have a very limited number of slots left. You know what? I don't have a page. I have I have a personal page. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't do a professional page. I have professional pages for other things. Like I have a page called uh, Virtually Yours that talks about all my appearances. I have pages for certain books and things. Um, But I really like to interact with people and pages are, you know, like professional pages are tough to interact with folks. Yeah, they are. But I interact on my personal page all the time with people every day. Um, so find me on Facebook. I think it's author Lynn Ames is how you can find me there. I'm on Twitter. Um, again, uh, that's uh, at Lynn Ames, Instagram at author Lynn Ames. And, uh, my email is Lynn Ames author at gmail.com. Okay. Mix it up there a little. 
And I've got a website, as I said earlier, www.lynnames.com. Awesome. Great. So um, I'm everywhere, Anita. I'm everywhere. You are. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Any parting words for our listeners, Lynn? Be kind to each other. You know, be kind to each other. Uh, Keep reading. Keep telling your stories. You know, most often I hear from people say, you know, I've I've got this book I want to write. And my answer is always the same thing. What's stopping you? Sit down and write five words a day, 10 words a day. Don't be intimidated at whether they're any good or they're not any good. Just write. Just sit down and write. It doesn't have to be for anybody but you. Or maybe in the end you'll surprise yourself and it'll be for everybody. That's great. Great advice, really. Yep, really is. And and for sure, be kind, you know. Um, be kind. You don't know. You know. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't. And you never know what someone else is going through, What you know, what's That's happening in their world. Very true. Yeah. Um, very, very true. So, yeah, I mean, be, be empathetic, be compassionate, be kind. Keep shining your light. You know, the more light we have, the more the darkness recedes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, listeners, Lynn's latest book, which is 46, um, came out uh, about half a year ago. It's just about, yeah. Um, available. In fact, it was just named uh, it was just named a finalist for the Amban and Popular Choice Award. That was a great surprise. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, and that was very cool. Was it uh, up for a, a cover too? Yep, it's also up for the best cover. I that is correct. So. My my little sister of choice, Anne McMahon, who is a fabulous cover <laughs> designer, in addition to being an incredibly talented author herself. Yeah. Uh, designs my covers. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's up for the T. Corinne Award for best cover. Nice, nice. Yeah, Anne's uh, helping me uh, get my uh, advertising up to par for the uh, conference book. So. Oh, yeah. good choice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, to check out uh, Lynn's uh, latest called 46, which is available through Phoenix Rising Press. Um, It's available everywhere. I mean, you can get it on Amazon. If you buy it from my website, I will personalize and autograph it for you if it's a print book. Uh, for ebooks, you can buy ebooks directly from my website. You can buy them from uh, iTunes or Amazon or Barnes and Noble, all those things. And there, uh, it's also available in Audible. Awesome, that's great. Narrated by the fabulous Abby Creighton. Nice, really nice. Well, I have to check that out. So, yeah. all right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Um, I'm Anita Kelly. Thanks for joining. Let's talk about books, baby. And thanks to Lynn Ames for joining us today. And Thank you so much for having me, Anita. I really appreciate it. Um, Great discussion. My pleasure. Um, so listeners, until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and be safe out there, folks.